Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Um, welcome to the Wigmore Hall and to the String Quartet. And this is a, a very important thing. I think if you're going to learn about string quartets, you've got to see one play, yeah? Because it's, it's a sort of physical presence, isn't it? Yeah, seeing four musicians play together. And I'm very pleased to welcome um, the Brook Green Quartet, who come from St Paul's Girls' School, which has a tremendous uh, history of music, a uh, great tradition of music. Uh, originally, you probably know that um, Gustav Holst was um, music master at St Paul's School, and he actually wrote The Planets there. Is that right? I think it's right, isn't it? Yes. What a thing. What a thing to happen. Yeah. So these girls are continuing this wonderful tradition. And they're going to start us off by playing um, a minuet. Okay. Now, just conjure with that word, the idea of a minuet. It has associations, doesn't it? So you just think of wigs, powdered elegance, costumes, uh, sort of manners, yeah? Dancing, of course, in three time. Uh, and this is from um, Haydn's first great set of string quartets, Opus 20, that he wrote in 1771 when he was 39 years old. He's not a youngster, was he? Yeah? And this is, this is the beginning, really, of a, a great series of string quartets, more of which later. And it's called... Alad Zingarese, so it's in the gypsy style. Minuet in the gypsy style. We're very delighted by the acoustic in here. It's actually very friendly for a string quartet, isn't it? It's great. It's almost as good as upstairs, which is, of course, the best acoustic. Um, is there anything that you noticed about um, that as a minuet? From my point of view of the minuet as a decorous three-in-a-bar piece, is there anything that you might have noticed about it? Syncopations. Yes, there's lots of syncopations, aren't there? There are lots of accents that actually defy your sense of the beat as being one, two, three, one, two, three. And if I play you um, a string quartet playing... A sort of, as it were, a standard minuet. This is Opus 17, from Opus 17 number uh, 
can't remember which one. Uh, Opus 17, in, number five in G major. Okay, this is how you might expect a minuet to be. Okay, and so on. That's da da dee do da da dum. You can hear, feel the minuetness of that, can't you? Which is completely contradicted by what Haydn does in Opus 20, number four, really, in a very big way. Now, um, I'm going to make a general point about the classical style, which is slightly personal, but I think, I think most people will hold, hold that it's true. And that is that the musical style of the classical era is very simple. And in fact, a lot of the time, Mozart and Haydn use three chords. One, four, and five. Yeah, just like people criticise pop music for being uh, lacking in harmonic invention. Yeah, the harmonic style of the classical era is very simple. It's much more simple than baroque music, for example, in Bach, and then later in classical music. And um, there's one other astonishing, I think, is an astonishing fact. Could you? I'm not going to ask you too many questions because I know you hate it, but I, I, I quite like doing it. Um, if, you're, if I said, can you name me um, some Baroque composers? You can, st okay, here we go. Monteverdi, Purcell, Corelli, um, Torelli, Bach, Handel, um, Buxtehude, I mean, on and on. You can keep going, can't you? Romantic composers, Wagner, Tchaikovsky, Brahms, and so on, Chopin, and on and on and on. Who, name me the classical composers, okay? And that's it, okay? Forget the others, yeah? Because you can, you can forget the others, and you won't miss anything. Yeah, but ima imagine, imagine missing, but imagine missing, you know, um, um, I can't think of this is dwarf, you know, people like that. Clail, you know, lots of, there are lots of, and I know there will be special pleaders for those composers, but um, isn't it extraordinary out of that period, which is, spans roughly, you know, 80 years, uh, and I'm counting Schubert as a romantic composer, by the way, but I know that's, you know, there's, and Beethoven, there's lots of arguments about that, but, you know, I think he re really firmly remains in the classical era. Uh, but um, those composers dominate that period in a way that no other um, period can show, yeah? Because there are lots more in other eras, yeah? And my, the, I, the, my, okay, my theory, if it is a theory, is that the reason that those composers were so good is because they subverted the style. Yeah? Because unless the style was subverted, it becomes very dull. You know, and you can sort of synthesise, I'll synthesise some classical music. Okay. It's rubbish, isn't it? Okay. Uh, 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 it's because I, that's how I hear classical music might be, or you could do it with a, an Alberti bass. And so on. And it's fine, you know, it sounds all right for a bit, doesn't it? We don't want to hear any more of that. Um, but the point about this minuet that the girls played um, is that it subverts the expectations of what a minuet should be because he throws beats all over the place, doesn't he? Yes? Da dum, da dum, ba -dee. So in the first bar, would you actually, I know I didn't, we didn't arrange to do this, would you mind just starting it again? And I'll just explain what's going on because it's interesting. Um, the first thing that you hear which is subversive is the fact that the first violin in the first bar has an accent on the second beat of the bar, okay? Now, a minuet has three beats in the bar and of course, the rules of 
metre mean that the first metre of the bar is stronger than the other. So one, two, three, one. And that's what you expect, isn't it? Um, da, 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 da. Yeah, that's how you expect to hear it. You wouldn't expect to hear... Although you might want to, actually, because you've probably heard that piece too many times. Uh, but that's sort of the point, isn't it? Uh, and, then, and then in the second bar, the cello has a sforzando. A sforzando is an accented note on the second beat. And then the first and second violins join in on the third beat of the bar. And what happens to your expectations of where the beat is, is that you no longer know where, how, to hear, how to hear it. So you can't tap your feet. I simply defy you to tap your feet in time to it like this. Two, three, you certainly would need some training. So would you mind just playing, um, without repeats maybe, if you could just play that minuet once again, um, with, with, with even more vim and vigour than the first time perhaps. The polite ending, dear da 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 belies the fact that the rest of it has been all over the place. And of course, in the trio, the, the opposite happens, doesn't it? Can we just play the beginning of the trio? The cello, interestingly enough, has the solo, you know, and it's very interesting. I'm not going to spend a lot of time playing you bad quartets. That Haydn wrote some bad quartets. Mozart wrote quite a lot of bad quartets. Not, inter not particularly interesting quartets, anyway. Uh, and the cello's going yom, bom, bom, you know. There's one that goes... You don't play the cello to you don't learn the cello to do this <laughs> you really don't do you so what she um what happens in this trio is that the um cello has her place yeah and it's a little solo and the and the uh, rest of the quartet accompany yeah so he's thinking bottom upwards rather than top down do you want to start the trio again and of course the other thing about the rhythm of the trio is that it's in da 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 da, da. it's very clearly three in a bar so it resolves um, it resolves the minuet you know, dilemma of being out of time. It now becomes well-behaved. Well done. They didn't rehearse that, had we? Well done. They got, got it. Yeah. Can you hear the difference? You know, in, in um, between the between the two. So this idea of subversion is really really important. Now, I'm going to move around a little bit today, um, and I'm going. To, I'm not going to apologise for spending perhaps more time on the classical era than later on, because if you do a count, um, Mozart wrote uh, at least ten great string quartets. That uh, six towering masterpieces, which he dedicated to Haydn. Haydn wrote. Now this is very interesting. He wrote. Where was my book? Uh, he wrote 40, 40 odd great string quartets. And I'm going on the authority of the great Hans Keller, who's written the best book on one of the best books on music that you will ever read, and certainly the best book on Haydn string quartets, uh, if not the only one, the Great Haydn Quartets. And from Opus 20, he includes all of them, from Opus 20 up through to Opus, Opus 77. Yeah, and it's some 45 quartets, and he leaves one out, but I'll explain that later. Okay? Um, but um, uh, um, Mozart, wrote, yeah, Mozart wrote, say, 10 great string quartets. Beethoven wrote 16, yeah? and the Grosser Fugue, which is a, a, a sort of add-on to Opus 130, uh, makes it 17. So what does that make about 70 altogether? Yeah? Now, that's more than the entire romantic repertoire for the string quartet. It really is. It's massive. It's so important. 
and Haydn is the great pioneer. Um, but Mozart was very inspired by Haydn's um, string quartets, and um, he wrote a set of six which he, he um, uh, dedicated to that composer. I'll just read you the dedication that he made, because it's a very lovely document, and it shows Mozart in a, in a wonderful light as a very humble man, actually in awe of a great master. Um, to my dear friend Haydn, a father who had resolved to send his children out into the great world took it to be his duty to confide, confide them to the protection, protection and guidance of a very celebrated man, Haydn, especially when the latter, by good fortune, was at the same time his best friend. Here they are then, O great man and my dearest friend, these six children of mine. They are, it is true, the fruits of a long and laborious endeavour. Now, we never think of Mozart as having a job writing anything, do we? <laughs> So he was, he was sort of intimidated, in a way, by Haydn's quartets, you know, and Haydn had ri written, the quartets that he was particularly intimidated by were Opus 33, which is Haydn's second set of six quartets, which joined this great canon of pieces, which he wrote in 1781, and Mozart got to know them, uh, and was inspired, very directly inspired by them, to write his own group of six quartets. Um, here they are, uh, O great man and my dearest friend, these six children of mine. They are, it is true, the fruits of a long and laborious endeavour, yet the hope inspired in me by several friends that it may be at least partly compensated encourages me, and I flatter myself that this offspring will serve to afford me some solace one day. And so on and so on. It's really a lovely, really a lovely letter, very sort of humble letter from Mozart to Haydn. Now, um, if you um, recall our um, gypsy-style um, minuets there, this is the beginning of the minuet of Mozart's uh, G major quartet, the first one, K Kirkle 387. Sorry to bandy so many numbers around. Why is the string quartet not as popular as the, I don't know, you know, why aren't there Moonlight Sonatas of the String Quartet? It's because they've got horrible numbers, haven't they? And there are, there's, a, there's a real shortage of nicknames. Yeah, uh, there are several Haydn's. There's the Frog Quartet, the Rider, you know, one called the Fifths and so on. But generally, there aren't, they're not full of nicknames. You know, we, there's no equivalent of the Moonlight String Quartet. Or, or whatever, you know, um, which is basically just a selling point, isn't it? But it's, so, so it's quite hard when you know a quartet and love it. You think, well, how do I remember what it is? Well, it's a problem. Well, you've just got to remember it, haven't you? Yeah, K387. Um, <laughs> this, is the, um, this is the minuet from that. Now, listen to what Mozart does, which is clearly directly inspired by Haydn, because Mozart is generally better behaved than Haydn. He's less unexpected, you know, because the, 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 the cliche is, you know, you're listening to the radio and you hear something that sounds like Mozart or Haydn, don't you? You say, that could be Mozart or Haydn in your head. You think, which one is it? Yeah. And after a bit, you can train yourself to discover the difference. And one of the main differences immediately is that Haydn is very unexpected. He does all sorts of crazy things, unexpected things, stops and starts. It's sometimes less... Um, you might say it's less cantabile sometimes. Mozart perhaps writes more singing melodies because fundamentally, what is Mozart? Well, at heart, he's an opera composer, isn't he? You know? um, but this minuet um, from this um, G major um, string quartet does exactly the same thing as Haydn did. Listen to this. Even the beginning, which starts like this. Now, if you hear that in your head, not consciously, but unconsciously, you're doing three, one, two, three, one, two. But it's not. It's one, two, three, one, two, three. And then he writes as a series of notes, series of notes in the violin, which he marks to be played. And this is the absolutely amazing for Mozart to do this. He does piano, forte, piano, forte, piano, forte. So it sounds as though it's gone from three time into two time. Just, just hear a little bit of it.
behaves himself again, doesn't he? He's a bit more decorous than Haydn, though, isn't he? I think the Haydn example is a little bit more, more radical, isn't it, rhythmically than that? But, the, but it's extraordinary, actually, that the Mozart... I can't think of anywhere else in his output where he writes dynamics like that next to each other. And, in fact, it comes, uh, you know, much later in the classical. I mean, Beethoven is the one who starts using dynamics radically. Sforzando's all over the place, disruptive elements. But this disruption makes the classical language much more interesting and enticing, doesn't it? Don't you think? It really does. Um, so, so rhythmical disruption is what you can relax for a bit, if you like. You don't, I'm not going to ask you to do anything for a bit, so just, just chill, you know. Um, <laughs> but... Um, uh, but rhythmical disruption is one thing, and the other thing is disruption of expectation. You know, um, this is the beginning of Haydn's string quartet, Opus 33, number one. I'm sorry to move around so rapidly, but there's so much, so much stuff to cover, isn't there? Um, these six quartets were published ten years after the Opus 20 set that you heard, so 1781, by which time Mozart is just about to move, well, has, is moving to Vienna. Um, and what Haydn said about these is that they're written in a new and special way. Um, and the other thing that he does is to make the third movement minuets um, into, well, he calls them scherzi, yeah? Which means no longer are they dances, but they're actually scherzo means joke in Italian, doesn't it? And really what it means is that the movement, instead of one, two, three, becomes one, da, da, dum, bum, 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 a faster three in a bar. But anyway, that's another thing. But the very beginning, of, you know, he sets out his stall at the very beginning of Opus 33, number one. Um, when you, when you hear something like this, okay, that's the first harmony that you hear. You're, yeah, I know you know, you say, I mean, some of you will know about D major and some of you won't. Some of you will care and some of you won't. Uh, but it doesn't, but you will actually um, fix your mind in the key, in a key when you hear this. And so for the information that you have there, you will say to yourself, it's in a major key, yeah? That's, that, that's pretty much certain so far. So you've heard one bar of music, and then you hear the beginning of the second bar. And then suddenly, here we are. Oh, sorry, no, that's, that's the other one. Here it is. Okay. Everything about it is D major until... Now, by there, you know you're in, not in a major key at all, you're in a minor key, yeah? So he's disrupted your expectations at the very beginning, yeah? Starting in D major. And when the, the, the really interesting thing is, and it creates quite a clash, um, that when the cello comes in, he writes for the cello as though it's in D major. Yeah, there's nothing about B minor about that, and there's one thing that's particularly not B minor about that, which is the fact that in B minor... You expect the A to be sharp, yeah? In fact, it's got to be sharp, because otherwise you're not in B minor, yeah? But the cello has A natural. So if I play the cello and viola part, you have what we call in the trade a false relation, yes? A natural and A sharp at the same time. False relation means you're going to get a very big clash. In fact, the cello persists to play the A natural against the A sharp in the viola right the way through um, that opening section until finally... K 
cadence. You have to know about cadences, I'm afraid. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You can't escape it. Okay? A cadence is a musical punctuation point, okay? and it means um, that a key is established. Yeah? yeah? That shows you how a cadence could operate. That's called a perfect cadence. Yeah? And only by establishing a cadence can you tell whether something's in a key. Yeah, because if I just play a chord, although I'm playing a C major chord, I'm not necessarily in the key of C major because I haven't given it a context. Because I might suddenly do. Sounds like a Beatles song, doesn't it? Something like that. Yeah. So you suddenly you can change key, but it but it's only by doing this. by showing the relationship between the dominant, which is the fifth degree of the scale, and the tonic, which establishes the tonic as C major. Yeah? And the tonic is the home key. Don't, your eyes are glazing over a bit. I'm going to stop this conversation quite quick, quickly. But it's really important. But the, the point about keys is that this is the heart of classical, the classical style, that this key is established at the beginning of the piece and then moves away from it. Yeah? So, so you establish a key and then you move away. That's the heart of it. But what Haydn does is the very opposite. He doesn't establish a key at the beginning of the piece. He only establishes it after a few, a few bars. So the beginning is a, is a deception. Yeah. And the more you understand the musical style, the more you will enjoy those deceptions. And of course, we are at a huge disadvantage because between Haydn and now, we've had music like this. Yeah, harmonies like that. Yeah, Wagner, you know, um, the Beatles. Miles Davis, all that sort of stuff. The harmony, har harmonic language is very wide in the music that we listen to, isn't it? But if you lived in 1770 in Vienna or wherever, you know, and you heard this music, that you understood that musical language very well because it was a musical language that was the only musical language that you heard. You didn't even hear lots of Bach and Handel. You heard mostly the music of the time and you really understood what was going on. And of course, the other thing about string quartets is that it's written for connoisseurs, not for the public. Yeah. In fact, Beethoven said of his Opus 59, the 95 string quarter, that the one that's very <laughs> radically violent, he said, I don't want to be played in public. I don't want it to be played in public. It's private. It's for, it's for me, for the quartet. It's, it's, it's between us. Yeah. And there's something wonderful. I think it's, I don't know what you think about this, girls, but it feels uh, like your own little community of four, doesn't it, when you're playing? You don't, you don't care too much. I mean, I expect you care that these people are listening to you. <laughs> I expect you care about that. But there is something very unique about that, you know, because even a pianist, solo pianist, there's this sort of show-off thing, isn't there? You know, there's virtuosity in piano music, and you don't get it in violin, in, in string quartets, really. I mean, you get difficult music, you know, and difficult things that are very, very difficult to play, but not virtuosity for its own sake like you have in piano music. Even in earlier piano music, even in Beethoven, you know, there's lots of virtuosity in the piano sonatas, uh, uh, which is sort of partly showy, and definitely in the 19th century, it's very list and, and so on. Um, but there's something very um, private about a string quartet. That's why it's such a, uh, an important thing, I think, and such a sort of, it's as though you're eavesdropping on their activities rather than them, you know, bringing a package out. One of the very other very interesting things about a string quartet, it, only a string quartet can do this. Okay, um, and there's going to be a bit of um, funny finding something here. This is the finale, or the very end of the finale of Mozart's, the same string quartet that I had uh, played the minuet example, K387, and it's a fugal finale, okay, like, and it starts like this. 
Okay, it starts off like a fugue and it becomes very brilliant. Yeah, and it's, it's actually a sonata form. But I just want to play, that's not the point really, it's the end. I'll just play the very end, the last couple of minutes or so. Only a string quartet can end like that, can't it? Because, because, you know, if you're writing a symphony, you want everyone to applaud, don't you? Even a piano sonata. But there's no craving for applause, though. It's a, just a, it just sort of peters out, doesn't it? You know, it's like a fade-out, really. But you wouldn't do... That's, that really tells you a lot about the nature of the string quartet itself, doesn't it? The other thing you need to know about the string quartet are the instruments. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of taking it for granted that you know, but I shouldn't. Um, there are two violins, a viola, and a cello. Now, there's... It, there's something slightly amiss with that, isn't there, in a sense, in that in a choir um, you have a four-part um, texture, don't you, of a soprano, alto, tenor and bass. So we have two sopranos, as it were, almost a tenor, really. Sorry to call you a tenor, I didn't mean... Yeah, and a bass line. So it's, but the point about it, why, ask yourselves this question, why aren't there many string trios? Mozart wrote a fantastic string trio, actually, a divertimento K563, I think. It's a masterpiece, absolutely amazing. Beethoven wrote some wonderful string trios as well. They're really good pieces. They're almost like studies. Um, so a string trio is written for viola, cello and violin. But the problem with it all is that the requirement of harmony is that you have a four-part chord. Yeah? So you have... You have so if, if, I'm going back to my little theory lesson. If we're in the key of C major, here's a C major triad. OK, three notes establish that as a triad, that's fine but it's much, much richer in four, four voices. You know, because if I play a three-part harmony, it's a little bit thin, isn't it? Add one voice. What happens? It's much richer, isn't it? Much more satisfying. So the string quartet is the minimum number of instruments you have to have really satisfying four-part harmony. Yeah, and of course, strings can double-stop, they can play chords, but it's not, it's, not, it's not satisfying all the time. You wouldn't want to do it for too long, would you? Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's very tricky. Um, so for the, string, the reason the string quartet is both very difficult to work with um, and um, has, you know, challenging, uh, uh, sort of has challenged composers. Composers have wanted to write string quartets, um, you know, as though it's something they should be doing. And it was like sort of putting their cards on the table and saying, I can do this. You know, it's because it's a minimum requirement, isn't it? It's, what you've, it's the minimum number of voices to be really harmonically interesting. Um, and it's, um, you might, it's quite interesting to reflect on composers who haven't written string quartets, isn't it? You know, some, 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 some haven't. Or composers you expect not to have written string quartets, like Schumann, who have, which are very interesting pieces as well. Or composers like Mendelssohn, who wrote wonderful string quartets, but people don't know them well enough. They're really fantastic pieces. You know, but, um, but anyway, so that's, that's the texture of the... That's, the it, that's why it's such a fascinating, fascinating challenge. Now, I'm going to come back to another, another subject, which is why Hans Keller, <laughs> in his wonderful book, has excluded one of Haydn's string quartets. Opus 33, number four. He said, it's not good enough. And let, let me, I mean, you think, you know, uh, it's, I still think it's better than most people's efforts. You know, it really, it really is. Let me just play you the particular passage that he's talking about. Um, right. Okay. Here we are. 
It's the development section. Um, just a brief explanation of sonata form. Three parts, exposition, the ideas are exposed, set the key, settle the key. So if you're in the C major, you've got to establish C major in some way. So even in his um, very obtuse beginning to the B minor quartet, starting in D major and fighting it, he eventually finds his way um, to... And by that time, we know we're solidly in B minor, yeah? So there's no way of avoiding that in the classical style, because if you do, you subvert your own style so much that you haven't got it anymore, okay? So, 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 so that's that important thing. There's the second area of the sonata tends to move away from a home key to another key, usually, but not always, the dominant key, yeah? Okay, so, you, so the, 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 and, and the exposition will normally finish in the dominant. Then there's a section called the development section, and the development section is really a preparation for the recapitulation, with the recapitulation being when the opening key is re-established. And very often, or most often, the opening theme. There's a very bad um, example of that, though, in Mozart's very famous little C major sonata. Yeah, his recapitulation comes in. He recapitulates in the wrong key and then finds his way back. But that's another way of being interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's another way of being interesting. You know, subversive, subversive. But um, anyway, so in the beginning of the developments, what, what you often have in development sections um, is a turbulent harmonic um, pattern. Yeah, so in the, you tend to get lots of different harmonies. So you will find that the development section is much more um, unsettled because it's looking to find a way to come back to the recapitulation. And in order to come back to the recapitulation, he's got to get, the dom to, get to the dominant before he arrives at the recapitulation. That's called a dominant preparation. And in fact, we're going to look at a Mozart string quartet for that very purpose, to look a little bit at the structure. Um, but So this is um, the beginning of the development section of Opus 33, number four, by Haydn. Um, and uh, Mr. Keller's um, problem with this is that the, he, what he does is to find a pattern I'll just find it. He finds a, a pattern which starts like this. And then... And he sequences this pattern, which is in the first violin, 11 times. Yeah? And he doesn't change it. Yeah? And, and, and I mean, I suppose if you listen to it, you'll think, oh, that's right, I don't mind, you know. But actually, compared with what Haydn normally does, it's weak. It's much, much weaker. I'll just play it to you. Don't enjoy it, please, too much. Because if, if you do, you'll ruin the whole point. <laughs> OK, I'll just, have to, I'll just have to do a tiny little bit of adjustment. This, I, I, you ought to hear the beginning, actually, because I rather like the beginning. It actually starts on the dominant chord, like that. It starts like a, it has a cadence to begin with. I really like it actually. Stop. No, but anyway, that's not the problem. The problem, the problem, the reason that he won't include it in his book is that at two minutes and 20 seconds, Haydn does this.
The problem is, of course, the quartet play it so beautifully. <laughs> That's the Casals quartet. You sort of forgive the, you almost forgive. But can you hear the problem? Yeah. It's too routine, isn't it? By his own high standards. By any other composer, that's fine. But Haydn can do more than that. So in Hans Keller's books, it gets, it, it, you know, you turn from, um, you ha he misses out in the, you know, goes from Opus 33 number three to Opus 33 number five. Cruel, isn't it? But there we are. <laughs> Cruel. Right. Okay. Um, just one other thing. That, although I said the Opus 20 set uh, are sometimes called the Sun Quartets. Uh, and that's because um, in the first, I think it was the first or second edition, there was a, the, the only reason is that there was a, um, a cover design with the sun on it. So you might suddenly, you might sometimes hear that. And I just want, I just want to just slightly explore the idea that um, there were worse string quartets before that. I mean, and the reason why these suddenly become so great and so important. You know, um, if I just, this isn't, this isn't worse. This is actually a great string quartet. This is Opus 9, number 4, and it's in D minor. I just want to play you the beginning of it, because... Um, the texture is a little bit less interesting than the Opus 20 quartets, much less, because the possibilities of um, discourse, as it were, conversation between the instruments, are, are very strongly realised in, in that uh, Opus 20 number four, aren't they? In the, because the cello has a bit, you know, and we'll hear it in the Mozart even more obviously. But some of the earlier string quartets have a texture which is rather sort of like, like a keyboard texture almost, where the, you have a... You know... Um, a plodding slightly, but plodding accompaniment, accompanying figure with the first violin rather. The, the ideas of um, interaction between the parts haven't fully been realised, but the musical material of this D minor quartet is really impressive. This is Opus 9, number 4. And then, by tradition, the exposition section repeats itself, yeah? It's a great... It has a lot of harmonic, emotional depth, doesn't it? It really does. And by the time you've um, reached the end of the... 
all that sort of thing um, in F major. It sounds completely different, has a completely different um, sort of emotional tone than the beginning, doesn't it? It moves from light, from dark to lightness, and that's very that's very important uh, feature of the classical style. It's like oppositions that can be reconciled with each other, and you get it in the small scale as well, like in this Mozart piano sonata, and then. Two opposite ideas. You, I hesitate to say masculine and feminine because I know it's trouble now. Okay, I can't say that, but you know that's what I think. <laughs> yeah, don't go there. That's a t uh, but. But it is opposite. You could, we can use any sort of opposites, can't you? So, it's, and those ideas have to be reconciled with each other for the music to be to, to work together. And it's the same with keys. You know, the the keys are put in opposition to each other. So you move from one key to the other, and the second there has to be a reconciliation between these two keys somehow. It's, um, and the other point, of course, is the idea of democracy, isn't it? Because string quartets are very democratic groups. And you, I'm sure that you don't, you don't have one sort of um, dictator first <laughs> violin, do you? Tells you what to do. Because it can't work like that. Maybe you do. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure, I mean, apparently the Amadeus quartets used to have almost stand-up fights in rehearsals. You know, I'm sure it's very difficult, but somehow you have to come to a, um, some sort of um, arrangement, don't you? And of course, this is the age of democracy. This is burgeoning, the ideas of burgeoning democracy in the Enlightenment are very strong, aren't they? You know, so, and, and, and what is the predecessor to the string quartet? What's the previous heavyweight chamber music version of a string quartet? It's the trio sonata. The trio sonata is a very confusing term because they're actually, you have to have four players, okay? Because you have two violins or two um, melodic parts and then a bass part, which is often a cello or could be a bassoon, and then you need a backup, yeah, a harmonic instrument, so it will either be a harpsichord or an organ. So in fact, you have a three-part texture with a, with a filling out of harmony. But in the trio sonata, um, you don't have this um, debate between the cello and the violins. You know, it's a very, it's very sort of, stratified, you know, top and bottom, and the, and the bottom part will be chugging along. That sort of stuff, you know, that sort of thing, you know. There's not a conversational possibility. But isn't it interesting, in an era where you have the ideas of um, democracy and eventually, you know, French Revolution, all those sort of things, you have the idea of a string quartet which features the idea that instruments can talk to each other conversationally. Possibly, you know. Anyway, just, just, I'm just going to play the beginning of that Haydn quartet again, just, just for the first couple of bars, and then switch immediately to Mozart's um, tribute to it, I suppose you might say, uh, from the, his set of six Haydn quartets, quartets dedicated to Haydn, K421, also in the key of D minor. I have to say this now, I always say it, and I always feel I'm repeating myself a lot, but um, Mozart wrote 41 symphonies. How many are in a minor key? Well done, God. Uh, 27 piano concertos, how many in a minor key? Two. Two? God blimey. Very clever lot. Um, same with the string quartets, 20 string quartets, two minor, yeah? Even Haydn, Haydn is more, much more, um, much more uh, exploratory with keys than Mozart, actually. He writes keys, he wrote a slow movement of Opus 76, number five, is in the key of... String player's favourite key, F sharp major. It's got six sharps, yeah? Horror, yeah? Real horror. Um, Mozart didn't ever write anything in F sharp major. And Mozart uses more minor keys. And isn't it interesting? Uh, sorry, sorry, Haydn uses more minor keys than Be uh, Mozart. Isn't it interesting that Beethoven, his opus one, number three piano trio is in C minor. 
three of his um, early piano sonatas are in C minor and the string trio in C minor. He uses minor keys all over the place. He wants to disrupt the whole thing, doesn't he? He wants to show that he's different. Yeah, and so, so many more minor pieces by Beethoven. Um, where were, what were you, oh yeah, I was going to play, yeah. Let's go back to, this is D minor. D minor is a very significant key to Mozart as well, some great pieces. The D minor piano concerto. Very, very unsettling. Minor pieces in the classical era are always very significant and almost always great. Yeah, somehow the greatness is because they had something special to say. Don Giovanni, D minor, yeah, starting off. Um, anyway, here's, the, here's that Haydn quartet, this is the beginning of. Right, cut to Mozart. made. There's no question that he didn't hear that Mozart. That <laughs> it's even coming back to me, yes. There's no question that he didn't, that he wasn't listening to the Haydn Quartet, that he wouldn't have known that Haydn Quartet. He must have done. Yeah? It's almost like a homage to it, the same sort of texture. The Mozart goes a step further. Also has this wonderful descending bass line, if you listen to the cello. Which in the minuet becomes this. He turns it from this into this, which is Dido and Aeneas. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm not. I'm not making a connection between Mozart and Purcell at all. But it's the same um, feature, chromatic descending bass line, and it makes you feel unhappy, doesn't it? It's sad. It's very, tra very tragic. Um, right. Now, as part of this set of six quartets that Mozart wrote and dedicated to Haydn, and there's a tantalising idea that, in fact, it's more than an idea, the reality was that um, Mozart was the viola, Haydn was violin, Dissersdorf was a violin, and Van Hal on the cello. Dost Dissersdorf and, Dissersdorf, um, and Van Hal are considerable minor classical composers. Yeah, then you've got the string quartet consisting of those four, four guys. Quite something, isn't it? If only they could have recorded it, it would have been. Um, but, um, and when Mozart's, uh, Mozart's um, father was present as well, and um, Haydn said to Mozart's father, you know, I can't remember the exact words, but he said, your son is the greatest composer, greatest musician I have ever met. You know, he'd, he's absolutely overwhelmed by these pieces. And he probably realised, he probably sensed that he'd started something and Mozart was taking it in a slightly different direction. But there's sort of Haydnisms all over the place in these quartets, in sometimes very obvious, like, here's the most, obvi here's the most obvious example um, before we come to the Hunt Quartet. Um, this, is, um, this is the Haydn, this is Opus 33, number uh, 5, the finale. Sorry, I just have to find it in this... They're sort of easy and difficult, these iPads. Probably... Um, course, that's right. Opus 3 to number 5. Final movement, which is a set of variations on this very, very delightful tune. 
and listen particularly to the Siciliano rhythm, which is dum da dum bum da dum bum da dum bum. So that's the beginning of the first variation. Sounds a bit like a folk band, doesn't it, playing in a pub? You know, in classical, I mean, you know, they're quite well-behaved audience if they were listening. Um, now, the Haydn, um, sorry, from the, from the Mozart Quartet finale. Very different character, but the intention is there. is isn't it I mean he must have had but it's totally different because it's gone from a major key being very open-hearted and folky to being rather dark well very dark and possibly very tragic as well now um, of these six um, quartets it's very interesting I don't I mean if, I don't know how well you know them just go and buy go and buy them as soon as you leave this building because they're fantastic pieces and each one is in a different key and keys have very strong associations of they have associations, basically, which could be lots of things. So D minor is a dark key, rather often quite unsettled, yeah, quite 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 turbulent, like um, you know, Beethoven Sonata. Really, I just find it's wonderful and unsettling at the same time. So we have we have D minor, um, E flat major, which is very warm. Beethoven's Eroica Symphony. Warm sounding, you know, key. Uh, horns, especially in the. There are associations with instruments which are not string instruments, which give it a character. Like D major is a very bright key, and that's originally because of the trumpets in D in Baroque music, you know, and those sort of things. But anyway, um, the Hunt Quartet is in the key of B flat major. Now, um, hunting, this is another controversial area. I'm not going to talk anything about hunting, except that Mozart liked hunting, at least musically. And hunting has a sort of association, which I'm sure you'll appreciate if I immediately play you this. Yeah, or this. Now, of course, the horn, the French horn, is fundamentally a hunting instrument. You're meant to ride on a horse with it and chase foxes. That's the idea. Um, but it also, that um, hunting theme also um, migrates into piano concertos. This is um, the B-flat piano concerto number 15 finale, K450. 
it's less obviously Hunt-like, isn't it? But it does have the same rhythmical pattern. Uh, it's in 6-8, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. And it does do hunting sort of gestures, doesn't it? And finally, um, one of the very greatest piano concertos, um, although they're all that, um, but number 22, the finale. They're all in hunting style. Now, um, the Hunt Quartet, K is it 458? K458, is also in hunting style. But what do you notice about all those hunting pieces? Da 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 dee da. They always go up to, upwards, don't they? They all are ascending figures at the beginning. They climb upwards. Shall we just play the beginning of this, the Hunt Quartet? Now, this is K, yeah, it is K458, and I think it's, it's the third quartet of the series of six. And we have, sorry, welcome back the Brook Green. I'm sorry, you've had a long wait, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, here, here they are, they're back in action. Great. Right. Uh, okay, you can hear that, that instead of rising, it falls, but it's, it, it, it falls, doesn't it? It has the same thing, because in order to establish the hunt idea, you have to play a triad. You know, it has to... It has to you have to have that idea of going... And, of course, what he does is do the triad, but... It's the wrong way round, yeah? I don't know whether that's a sort of, sort of in-joke in a way, isn't it? Yeah? Something that Haydn might have appreciated. Although, of course, Mozart didn't call it the hunt. He, didn't call, he never called these things the hunt. You know, it's just an association that you have from the, from the music itself. But you'll notice that at the very beginning, um, the first and second violin... Would you, would you mind just playing your bits just alone? First, just the first and second violin alone. <gasps> OK. Yeah, great, good. But then um, when it comes to bar nine, the music is not led by the first violin, but by the second violin. Can we just play that all together? Bum bliam, bum bum, ba dum bi da da da. And then the second violin answers that figure with this a little bit of virtuosity. One. Mm. Lovely, thank you, great, great. And then when we stopped, um, you heard, well, you were about to hear, the first violin holds a long trill, okay? And then underneath it, the, first, the second violin and viola, who work, they often, they're sort of like um, conspirators, really, aren't they? They work together a lot. Yeah, it's amazing how, how, how they need to communicate with each other. Um, just, yeah, there's, have you ever seen string quartets that stand up? If you hear the, the Emerson Quarter, I, saw, I find it very off-putting because, of course, the cello's sitting down and then the others are standing up. But I think there's, I like this, this idea. There are other configurations of um, seating as well. Sometimes the viola player sits opposite, don't they? But, but I, I personally like this, to me, looks right. It just I looks just right. I saw on the other day at the orchestral the cello stood up. The cello stood up? My gosh. Oh, the yellow check. Gosh, that's interesting. So he had a long, a long spike. Which quartet was that? Was that? 
Amazing. Right. I like that. They, come face they face it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's, I mean, those Janicek, I mean, this is changing the subject completely, but those Janicek quartets are really extraordinary pieces, quite, quite something. We, we'll talk about those in week four. How's that? Okay. Um, the next thing that happens is that you hear the same music as you had at the beginning, and we're talking, exploring a little bit the form here. Um, first violin has a trill, and then, but then the next passage is involved with the idea of modulation, which means changing key. So what Mozart is doing is moving from the tonic to the dominant. So if you wouldn't mind picking up quartet from bar 26, and you'll hear the music sounds, um, the, the motor for the modulation is a lot of semiquavers, a lot of fast notes, digging in the first violin part. Yeah? moving around the keys a little bit, uh, and finally settling down on what we call the dominant key of B-flat major, which is F major. Okay, great. I think we were going to stop a bit earlier than that, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, lovely. Uh, um, just a couple of, a little bit of subversion, the, uh, where you have the first violin is playing actually wada two, three, he, one, two in three, four, while the actual main motor of the beat is two in a bar. One, two, three, four, five, six, one, and two, da, ba, ba, ba. That's got a technical term called a hemiola. Yeah? Yeah, it's 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 in across. Oh no, I can't. <laughs> yeah, but it has it gives a kick. Anything because actually um, dance-like rhythms in music can be very um, monotonous, if you like. Well, a really good if you want to explore this idea fully yourselves, listen to the first movements of Beethoven's Eroica Symphony because it's in three time. It's quite unusual. There aren't that many symphonies with th in three four at the, at the beginning like that. And throughout the movement, he puts Fort Sandy in that make you feel as though you're not in three time, but in two time. He does it again and again and again in that movement. It's really striking. Again, you know, feature of the, the disruptive element which makes the classical style interesting. Now, um, the tune that you've just heard, would you mind playing um, from bar 42? You're going to get a it's like a it's a theme which is just made out of a little trill you know a trill is two notes rapidly alternating cello yeah and the, sorry just one the, 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 I mean that's just a nice you can just hear the different timbres of the instrument you hear the violin violin viola cello just try it once again and in fact that little idea emerges from a tiny little figure at the beginning in just in bar eight which is an accompaniment which goes like this yeah it's just a little figure just a two-note figure and that becomes something which is very very much more important should we just pick it up again uh, from yeah bar 42 and by this time he eventually established itself in the key of F major he's gone to the dominant where he needs to be
And by this time, you're in the key of F major, but the point is, the point about this change of key is that you believe you're now in F major is your tonic key. Yeah? It's not, it's not something you're visiting, it's something you've arrived at. Yeah, it's not transient, that's, it's there. Yeah? And, and if we play on a little bit, there's a little coda now, which he introduces another, another little theme, which is really, all the themes are somehow generated by the idea of the dee dum ba da dim ba dum ba They all seem to be, they have a kinship, don't they? Do you feel that when you're playing them? They're all sort of generated by the same idea, the same feeling, rhythmical feeling. So this is the coda, um, and then we get into the development section. And the beginning of the development section takes the key of F major, just carries on, and he introduces a new theme. It's definitely a new tune. He hasn't heard it before. I'll just put, we'll, let's carry on playing and I'll just, I'll just point out when it happens. So we're going to start in bar, was it 76? 70, um, uh, 77. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, development section. Now. <laughs> God, they're good. Right, and at this moment, suddenly, you go from the major to the minor. Yeah, it's been very sweet, and suddenly it isn't. And he takes the little trill idea, and he subjects it to a bit of twiddling around. Yeah? So, should we pick up, so the music is palpably much more agitated, yeah? and, the, and the semiquavers and so on, and the string texture changes. You'll notice that um, textures change a lot in quartets. It's really interesting to listen, isn't it, to the way that sometimes you have long notes, sometimes shorter notes, sometimes the instruments um, you know, are playing different articulations. There's a lot of interesting things going on. Um, so, yeah, this is bar 106. So, in a way, he's sorry, oh, gosh. That, there are conductors that do that. They do that, don't they? And they start talking, and the orchestras absolutely hate that, really, no, understandably. Um, but um, uh, this is the transformation of what was in the exposition quite light-hearted into something darker. Yeah, so it's looking at the same material in a different way.
Good. That is the moment before the recapitulation. And you can guess what's going to happen next. You just know, don't you? It's going to go da 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 Is it one of the things you probably need to know? I probably, I don't know how, you can take, I take things for granted really because you've been doing it for so long, but um, the string quartet only has their own part in front of them. They don't have a score. They, don't, they, they can only see what they're playing, like an orchestral player can. So they have to know the music from the inside really, don't you? And, and you'll find, you know, that um, when you first play it through, it's very baffling sometimes, isn't it? So the way that you get to know the music, well, part you can listen to it as well, obviously, but, but you can listen to recording, but just play it by playing it lots of times, you understand how the parts interact with each other. And the understanding that's required is very great. I'm just going to read a little bit of tiny bit. This is one of the most, oh, this is very, this is very opinionated, but I think it's actually really brilliant. And I th can you listen as well? Because I think it's important, OK? It's important for all musicians to understand this. <laughs> you know. Well, so Hans Keller thought. But I think he's right. He, and he's talking about the people that he hates, OK? <laughs> the other type of... And he's, he hates quartets that specialise in things, like, uh, you know, they only play Haydn or only play Mozart. That's his first one. The other type of specialist, who is the present book's enemy number one, is the unthinking player who prides himself on being just a player and who has never thought but only felt music. Who in fact feels thought to be the foe of feeling, whereas in musical reality there is no feeling that cannot be articulately thought. Okay, well you need to think about this a little bit, don't you? <laughs> yeah. But what, okay, what the, his point is that he's saying that, you, that you, you can't just be, it's not good enough just to feel and be emotional about how you apply yourself to music. You have to think about how it works. And what he says, this is the most important, bit, I think, and he, he, he says it and you think, what's he talking about? And then he explains it. Um, it all depends, of course, on what we mean by musical thought. You can think about music, which is what musicologists and critics, and alas, most teachers do, <laughs> and you can think music, which is what this book will encourage its readers to do. You imagine this read in a very stern Austrian accent. <laughs> it is thought about music, which is the real foe of musical thought. At the present stage in the history of interpretation, it has, to a mortally dangerous extent, replaced transitive musical thinking. What does that mean? OK, well, he does explain. Thank, God, thank goodness he explains it. The capacity to think music in the same natural, spontaneous way, the normal, unmusical, that's harsh, isn't it, human being thinks, pictures, words, concepts and terms. The laws of musical logic are best followed without the intervention of the very different laws of conceptual thought. So in other words, okay, just to translate that, um, you need to think in music as music. Not, you don't translate into anything else. You think pure thoughts, musical thoughts. Yeah? So the, musical, the language of music tells you certain things and you can only understand them on their own terms. I think that's what he's saying. Yeah? And you do... Did, um, yes, yes. And he talked about research. Yes. Oh, that's interesting, yes. He said it's the most interesting group because they have to listen. Yeah. To each other. Yeah, because they, they, they don't have a conductor intervening as well. So they have to think the music themselves as well. And of course, the point is that the quartet, because it's, um, um, you know, it, it's not, a, it's not, it's sort of not colourful, you know, because an orchestra is very colourful. You've got flutes, they sound different from the clarinets, oboes, bassoons, horns, they all have different timbres. The quartet has a sort of uniform string sound. So it's a really good way of thinking in music because they, all you can do is that, isn't it? You, you can't be coloristic. And that's why it's very unflashy, it's very unshowy, it's very. You know, it's difficult in a way, quartet music, isn't it? It's the most, some, some of the, you know, some of the most difficult music to listen to because it, it, it has great depths and it's mu pure musical thought. So, um, to continue with pure musical thought, can we just play, can we actually, we're going to, um, at the next moment, 
we were just about to hear the recapitulation. But you've sort of heard that, haven't you, already? You've heard the recapitulation uh, because you've heard the exposition. Now, the difference between the exposition and the recapitulation is that the second musical area in the recapitulation is not in the dominant anymore because if it was, he would never get back to the tonic. So the idea of the recapitulation is to resettle the music back to the tonic. So all the subsequent ideas, like you're going to get a bop, 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 happen in now in B flat major and not in F major. So what we're going to do is to join the piece at the coda. Okay, so we're going to go. Shall we go from um, your favourite place, um, which was bar? Was it bar two hundred and twenty something? I'll tell you what. Let's do the second time bar. That's the best thing. Bar. Let's do those B flats. That's simple, isn't it? And that, so you imagine th at this moment the music sounds though like it's settled down happily on B flat. Yeah. <laughs> And you, you expect the coda to be sort of tying things up, don't you? But what actually Mozart does here is to take you off on a little journey, a little harmonic journey. Um, he starts to move away, almost like a little development section, before he finally settles down. It's very intriguing and beautiful. So, actually, it would be really nice to go into it. Would you mind, do you mind if I, if I give you a place to start uh, that will be um, much more friendly than the other one? Um, what about um, bar 2045, bar, bar 206? Is that all right, 206? Okay, so this is the very final moments of the exposition, of the recapitulation, rather, going into the coda. And when you go into the coda, you're going to get a big shock. And you noticed at the end, that little trill-like figure made a little feature, didn't it, at the end? He made a feature. It was wonderful, wonderful ending. Thank you very much. That's great. Um, I thought of a good way to end. Okay, We've had Mozart and Haydn, haven't we? We've got to hear a bit of Beethoven. I thought today would be a good day, to, uh, which is the only time we're lucky enough to have this wonderful live group. And isn't it a great... Um, you know, everyone's always moaning about the youth, but isn't it wonderful? <laughs> okay. Isn't it wonderful that this is very inspiring, isn't it, that they take the time to play this wonderful music? I think it's, uh, you know, hope for the future in lots of different ways. Um, 
Beethoven, um, as I said, wrote a set of, um, he wrote quite a lot of string, about four or five string trios. Opus 9, he wrote three string trios, which are great pieces, and they like, almost feel like studies for string quartets. So by the time he published his Opus 18 string quartets, he was already 30 years old. Um, it's a bit of a late starter compared with, with Mozart, of course. Um, but they're very significant pieces. The thing about, uh, well, Hans Keller says, you know, Beethoven wrote 17 string quartets. They're all celebrated, yeah? They're all of the highest possible level because he, he didn't write anything he didn't want to be have published. If, if it wasn't up to it, he wouldn't publish it. So they're all gigantically great pieces. Um, and this is um, part, I don't know how much time we'll have for, to do it, but this is the first movement of Opus 18, number four. And I, it's I want you to hear it now because you've heard Haydn and Mozart and I want you to hear how different this style is, how much more powerful um, the writing is for the strings and how dramatic it all is. Um, interestingly enough, I mentioned the key of C minor. Beethoven's C minor, of course, is most established uh, most um, uh, uh, connected with this. Yeah, and, but there's also the Pathetic Sonata. Yeah, dark C minor. C minor was a passionate and dark key for Beethoven. And this is the, um, the fourth quartet of Opus 18, which I think was probably um, written, it was actually, it had sketches which went back to his Bond years. Yeah, so it's quite, it, the, the origin of the quartet is quite early. Um, but it, by the time he gets to, um, to, to put it down on paper, it's in, uh, published in 1800, it's quite a, um, a, a very finished piece indeed. And just almost everything about it is um, radically more um, assertive, physically, technically, emotionally, than Haydn or Mozart. So see how far we can get. Where was the, you were going to stop at a very striking moment. Your job after that is to go home and listen to the rest of the movement. Okay. <laughs> okay. But it, 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 will be, it will stop in a very um, poignantly exciting moment. So and you'll, it will leave you wanting more. So this is um, the Brookring Quartet playing um, part of the first movement of Beethoven's String Quartet, Opus 18, number four. Thank you. 
Thank you. Very big thank you to um, the Brook Green Quartet. And also, can I thank um, their coach, Hilary Sturt, who's sitting there at the back. And... And also to you, thank you very much for being a really um, attentive and appreciative audience. Uh, and I will see you next week, but unfortunately without the string quartet. <laughs>